Welcome to the Dylan Experience. This is episode 21. I'm your host, Dylan Sessler. Uh, before we get started, I want to give you a word from our sponsor real quick and uh, go ahead and roll it. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get to business. Today, I am going really off the cuff. I made a very short list of things I want to talk about, um, but realistically, this is kind of things I've learned from 2021, and uh, I just want to, I just kind of want to wing it. We're, we're going to do it live today, so let's just get started. I, I could read off the list, but I, I, I don't think it's worthwhile. So let's start with the first one. This is something that I've really come to kind of understand, um, or I'm thinking more about. Uh, I like to hypothesize and theorize. I'm a big thinker, um, but a lot of this is I focus on the micro. I focus on interactions. I focus on the very small aspects of, of life and society um, and how they impact the big picture. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't have, I don't think I'm as good at really looking at the big picture as I am at looking at it from bottom, bottom up. Um, so the first thing I've really come to understand from this year is every feeling you've ever felt is valid. I think of that as rationality, right? It's very rational to have cause and effect, right? Something happens at six years old, you have a response to it, and then it compounds and it grows, right? There's certain things that uh, all of those feelings are valid, right? The The shame is valid, the, the guilt is valid, the regret is valid. Um, and when you're a child, it's almost more important to understand that it's valid because when things happen as children, if we're not taught, that's part of the validity because all of these things that we're supposed to understand and know and learn and develop and grow, if we're not taught that stuff, then we have a very jaded sense of self. We have a very um, limited understanding of the use of language and body language, um, which I'll talk about a little bit more. Maybe probably just talk about that next. Um, but then here's the logic that comes into play is that not every feeling should be validated. So the, the full kind of sentence is every feeling you've ever felt is valid, but not every feeling should be validated. And it's very important to understand the role of logic and the role of rationality. Because if we only use logic, then we're invalidating things that were, were real, that were very much real. Um, and if we don't understand them, what happens is they become unprocessed. Um, and the body, I don't think we really understand how the body processes things um, because clearly it holds on to trauma, it holds on to um, neglect and hurt and pain and all of these things. And we, when we don't understand them, when we don't understand the rationale or the rationality within how our body actually holds things in, uh, when we attack things with logic, we become very uh, stressed. We become very it becomes a struggle for us um, and and we become invalidated in many ways but the reality is is that we need to invalidate certain things but we need to do so through perspective through trust um, you know and so one of the things I'm understanding is that trust and validation right when people come to me um, within the context of my coaching and my mental health coaching like my one of my biggest goals has always been to help build trust first and foremost because safety is such a priority because I think I really think this is something I've learned in 2021 safety needs to be among the mo most important priorities to heal trauma 
it has to be because you can't you can't heal in a place that makes you bleed and so uh safety needs to be paramount um and so when you when you offer that to a person for the first time that's when you start to come at things from the from the sense of rationality where um every feeling you've ever felt that that's what i that's just what i assume when people come to me is that every feeling you've ever felt is valid so let's talk about them right let's make them let's normalize them let's make them real let's make them um something that we can both understand and and place in a linear time frame of how did this happen and where the cause and effect were um and then when that what that what that does is it creates trust does it solve many problems other than trust, I don't think it really does. Maybe certainly there's some small issues here and there, and maybe you disagree with me. Leave me a message. Let's let's see if I can. Um, let's see if you can change my mind. I'm all, I'm all for it. But I really think the real change comes from invalidating feelings. It's it's what we always want to do when we get into arguments with our with our spouse, our mother, our sister, our brother. It's like, hey, you shouldn't do that. But the reality is, is like this person is thinking this is valid, like this is a valid response. Um, and at the same time, because no trust was built in the conversation, that's when the fight begins. That's when the argument begins rather than the discussion. And so people always come at it backwards. They come at it with the logic rather than focus on understanding rationality, that every feeling exists for a reason and that it's valid. And so that's when it comes to for me it comes to developing developing the perspective of people and giving them an understanding that this feeling that you have is probably not something you need to validate but i never make it my choice right i'm not telling them to do that i'm telling them they need to think about it as much as possible do i make mistakes absolutely and that's that's something i've learned in 2021 is i'm going to make mistakes um, and so a lot of, a lot of healing trauma, a lot of healing, anything, any kind of wound is, is really, um, invalidating the parts of it that don't function in the long run. Um, you know, the fear is, is massive. The, the, uh, guilt, the shame, the embarrassment, the, um, the hard, those hard, those big hard feelings that that we really struggle with, that are so difficult to express and explain, um, those are the things that need to be invalidated and understood before people can really, you know, really move through a lot of what they're what they're struggling with. Um, and I think that's I think that's really massive. Um, something that certainly has become so apparent in in my work now that kind of leads me to another thing is that i i really think it's become really apparent to me that people use body language when they lack the um when they lack or in the absence of language uh, to communicate so what this means is you know I've, I've done a little bit more research on on narcissism and this is this is going to be an interesting subject. It's, I, I certainly am not a, a downright expert, but I'm really starting to understand what makes these people operate. Um, 
they don't have the language. They don't have the maturity. They don't have the um, the operational capacity to have a conversation because they've never been taught how to have a conversation. Is that every single one of them? No. I, there, I think there's a massive spectrum of what a narcissist looks like from a covert narcissist to an overt narcissist and everything in between. Um, but I think a vast majority of of people that could be labeled as narcissist or have narcissistic tendencies um, use body language far more than they use language to communicate. And that in itself becomes very dominating. It becomes very confusing um, because their actions don't match their words because they don't have the words to really operate within the conversations that they're trying to operate in. I think from what I've seen, people that get abused and used by narcissists are incredibly intelligent people and so they come at it from a very logical standpoint um, and so they have the words to express these things but the you know the operating procedures that a, a narcissist might use don't mesh with the intelligence it's it meshes with the physical instinctive and intuitive kind of, um, you know, capacity for human beings to communicate, right? They're very, it's not just, it's not just vocalizing your problem. It's, uh, it's that physical domination of the room. It's that um, manipulative and coercive kind of feeling like I can't disagree with this person because the emotional output tells me I shouldn't. It's not, I shouldn't disagree with this person because, uh, you know, they're they're right or wrong. It's it's I I shouldn't disagree with this person because emotionally they'll dominate me, they'll destroy me, um, because they've they've taken it upon themselves to dig into my my weaknesses and my vulnerabilities, and I've become vulnerable, but they have not because you know, for whatever reason, and, and again, this is not a very intricate discussion on narcissism. It's more about the use of body language in the absence of language. And so if, if there's anything that's taught me, it's about children, right? If you want to give your children a, a chance to be good human beings, help them understand language, um, and help them understand the, the operational capacity for their body language. Uh, it's, it's very important, I think, for kids to be able to communicate openly, right? And understand, if you're a parent or a teacher or anyone that deals with kids, kids, like up until about six or seven years old, it, like kids really don't have a capacity to understand um, like right and wrong very well right like they they understand when you when you tell them no uh, like they probably shouldn't do that but they're still going to do it sometimes right even if you tell your kid don't lie when you're four or five six years old they're still going to lie and so you have to create beyond six years old this understanding that you need to learn how to communicate you need to learn how to negotiate you need to learn how to not dominate using body language, not dominate using verbal communication, um, and, and learn how to negotiate where, um, 
you know, f- to get what they want rather than to just outright control the situation. Uh, and that's that's what's so important with with children, I think, is is helping them understand that talking is important um, and having a safe place to do so is fundamental. Right. If you are, you know, if you're a parent or a teacher or anyone that deals with with children, if you don't create a safe environment, they won't come to you. And how do you know it's a safe environment? Well, you you ask them hard questions and you see if they actually answer them. If you're not a safe environment, then you have to address that and and be open and honest with yourself about why do I not create a safe environment? What am I doing wrong? But don't ask yourself, ask them, right? Like kids will tell you, kids will be more honest with you. And if they're hesitant, then you have to disarm their hesitancy. You have to say, whatever you tell me, I am not going to be upset. I'm not going to do whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're afraid of. I'm, I'm going to feel it and that's okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fix this here. I'm trying to create a better outcome for all of us. And so you've got to be able to disarm that situation, right? That's, and that's hard, right? Because that requires emotional regulation in a place where kids are going to be really, really honest. Um, that's just who they are, and I like that about them. Problem is, is that if we don't create a place of safety for them to communicate, they become dishonest. And then because they become dishonest, they, they begin to, I think, lack the ability to communicate openly and, s- openly, and so they lose that language that's very fundamental to development. And then they resort to, to body language and violence to get what they want in, in certain circumstances. And so that all kind of leads me to this idea that definitions matter, right? And if I didn't learn this in 2020, I learned it in 2021 so hard when I, when I, when I finished my, my book and, and put it out and gave it to people. It's because one of, the, one of the most common questions I ask people is what is your definition of love? And just think about that, right? Like right now, if you've never worked with me or if you've never followed me, you've probably never answered that question. You've probably never thought about that question. You probably think of like, oh, it's unconditional. But what does that mean? And then you have to think about it, right? But here's the thing, like a majority of our society values love, but we can't define it. We can't put a, this is what it is. And so in my book, in and in my life, I've had to define it because I've had real struggles with this. And, and my definition, I think, is good. I think it's really a, a really important thing to, to operate with within for at least myself. If other people use it, awesome. If they don't, that's up to them. But my definition of love is actions without expectation, right? And what I mean by that is really important, is that love is a one-way road. It's you giving to who to whomever you love right it can even be a hobby if you really if you really want like if you really love basketball well guess what you're going to give to basketball without basketball ever giving back to you like you may never you may never become Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan but if you love basketball you'll play it for the rest of your life because you have no expectations of anything coming back to you if you love this person you will give to them without expecting anything in return, 
because then it takes away the aspect of control and dominance and power, manipulation, coercion, because it's not about that. It's about giving to this person because I appreciate them. Where the expectations lie is in the relationship. So if you're married, the expectations lie in the covenant of marriage, right? So it, the expectation is you're not going to lie to me. You're not going to cheat on me. You're not going to, um, you're, you're going to take care of me. You're going to support me. Um, we're going to do this together. And so the concept of, of the relationship is where the expectations are, right? If, if you're in this relationship, we got to do it together, right? But I can still love you. I can love you before the relationship. I can love you during the relationship. And I can even love you after the relationship has ended. And that's okay. What is not okay is if people break the expectations of the relationship without communicating. And that's very simple, right? That's where, the, where it's so fundamental to see the two-way road within the relationship of hey, we have to communicate these problems because otherwise the relationship won't last. It doesn't say anything about the love won't last because two things can be true at the same time. You can be abundantly in love and also be hurt by the same person. Like that's, that's a reality. And so why we are trying to justify that we have to stay in the relationship for love doesn't make sense to me if someone wants to to put something out to help me understand that, go for it. And certainly, obviously, the concept of marriage uh, and, and being together is really kind of focused around raising children. Um, and the outcomes of children are, are seemingly better with two, two parents in the household. But I, I really don't think we really have the best data to understand whether the outcomes are better for children that have two parents versus uh, whether whether those parents are kind of lacking in the the use of language and and developing you know developing their ability to communicate um, like that's where the stats just don't necessarily add up for me I, I don't you know I certainly haven't done a ton of research but it it just doesn't it doesn't feel like we could actually study what we need to study to understand whether whether kids do better with two parents or one parent that has the ability to say no I'm not going to get beaten by my spouse for 12 years just to just to stay for the children you know like that's that's something that certainly needs more attention it certainly needs more uh discussion uh we need to be more open about that in society and talking about what that means what domestic violence really is um how do we stop it how do we how do we approach it even um it, it's it's a difficult conversation but it's really important in how we uh how we move forward with especially mental health because mental health is so massively impacted by domestic violence i don't even think we understand it I just don't think, I don't think we really, truly, you know, operate with the understanding that domestic violence, and, and really what I'm talking about here is this apparent use of body language in the absence of language. Um, I, I really think it, there's so much more to it that, that we're not giving, we're not giving credit to. Um, but those are just kind of thoughts, right? Like this, 
this podcast episode is going to be fairly short. I don't even know if I'm going to be um, discussing much beyond this, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, all of this stuff is 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 stuff that I've been thinking about for the past year, kind of uh, theorizing and and determining where I can where I can take and where I can start understanding it. Obviously, um, where I can start researching, but yeah, I mean. I think I, well, I, one thing I did forget was this understanding that sanity is a social institution. Um, I've been reading a book. Um, I kind of had to put it down to start another book. Uh, I've been reading a book called Beyond Order by Jordan Peterson. And in his, I think his se- second chapter, he discusses sanity is a social institution. And what that means is like people help you develop your sanity. They help you determine what is normal, abnormal, um, what is embarrassing, not embarrassing, what is right and wrong. And so when you're trying to understand whether you're crazy or not, you go to other people like, hey, am I crazy for thinking this? And if your best friend says yes, well, then you're going to think you're crazy, right? Like we we are very much social beings and we, and we place ourselves um, or we determine what our identity is in the um, in the image of others, the eyes of others, uh, and and I think it's really important that we have that discussion about what that means at a younger age, right? Because you know I've I've got a ten year old son, and he looks at you know we were he he forgot his shoes at his basketball practice the other day, and it was destroying him because he was like. I have to go back into that gym and people are going to laugh at me. They're going to think about, or they're going to look at me and, and like wonder why he's here. And like logically, right. I'm thinking about this as a dad. Initially I'm like, well, get over it. Right. That's what I was thinking. I didn't say that. Um, it goes back to the rationality. Well, rationally that makes sense. Like, that would be embarrassing. He doesn't understand how to how to make a mistake. He doesn't ha- understand how to make peace with his mistake, um, and he thinks that his mistake is going to be punished by the masses. That oh wow, he's you know he's he forgot his shoes, and you know I spent the whole car ride. You know, I was I was emotionally calm about it. I was like, we got to solve the problem, right? Very simply, we got to solve the problem, and so he's thinking he's insane because he's he, he's got to go back and, and do this and he's going to be super embarrassed and this is going to be terrible for him. It's going to ruin his reputation. I look at him I'm like, how many kids do you think make mistakes on a daily basis? He's like, all of them. I'm like, okay, how many, how many kids forget things on a daily basis? It's like a lot, a lot of kids do it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, right? And so like rather than, Rather than let him dwell in his insanity and trying to figure out whether he's right or wrong here, um, I helped him understand the perspective of, you know, here's here's how I look at it. Here's some logic for you, and and I understand your rationale of looking at this and saying like, yeah, I'm, it might be embarrassing, but here's the reality. Um, and I walked him through like very simply, you're you're gonna look, you're gonna walk into this gym, and probably nobody's going to look at you because everybody's kind of focused on themselves. They're all kind of focused on doing what they're doing. And sure, maybe one or two people might look at you, but at the end of the day, 
who gives a fuck? You know, like who cares if one or two people look at you? Who cares if 20 people look at you, right? Like his basketball coach earlier in the earlier in the day was like, you know, you're you're a beast. And he's like, he told me it was the first thing he told me. He got in the car. He's like, yeah, my, my coach called me a beast. And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, hell yeah, man. You should be proud of that. And and then when he's we're driving back to get his shoes, he's like thinking he's not thinking like a beast. And I looked at him I'm like, what would a beast do? You know, what would a beast do when he walks into that in that gym? Would he care what other kids think about him? And he's like, no, no, they wouldn't. And so I looked at him like, now is not the time to worry about what other people care about you. You just got to get your shoes. Do you want other people to have your shoes? He's like, no, those are my shoes. Then go get your shoes. And it's very like, you know, it's very when you get the when you give the understanding of what logic really means, you have to start it from a, a, a space of rationality. These are rational feelings. These are real feelings. These are valid feelings. And to help him overcome them, it's really about developing where you can take them. What do they actually mean? What is the logical? What can you invalidate? Right? Someone, if someone calls you a beast, then act like it. Right? Play with that word and, and utilize it for its strength. And recognize you don't need to care about what other people think of you you don't need to worry about other people's opinions and you know that that really helped him the other night when he's when he's really hard on himself as a kid and I think a lot of kids do this to themselves right is that they they have these rational feelings but then because they don't always you know and and I think this is more nowadays but even even so in my age um, kids get caught up in thinking for themselves that they forget to actually understand the world through other people's perspectives, especially parents, right? Because parents are different, right? Um, Parents can be dismissive. Parents can be neglectful in some ways. And that's, I don't think these are bad things. I think these just happen, right? When, when you've got so many things going on in the world today, like we have so many things to focus on today, um, I think it's just a matter of uh, a time. We don't have enough time anymore um, unless you make it, unless you force yourself to make the time. So I, I think paying attention to kids and understanding the rationality is so fundamental that we as parents and as friends and family and support structures, sh- support structures for all people and all, you know, in all cases, we create sanity as a social institution. That's what I think really drives social change is that, you know, if we look at something and we say, this is normal, then it's going to be maintained as normal. And if that's wrong, right, if things like child abuse are maintained as normal, we saw it in my generation, it maintained itself as normal. Um, And the reality was, is it negatively impacted it negatively impacted myself and my generation for sure and it didn't need to I haven't I've never I've never touched my child and I won't need to because he respects who I am he respects my the fact that I negotiate with him that I help him that I support him and quite frankly if he stops respecting me I don't need to hit him right I I can let him make his own mistakes 
right? I don't need to punish that. And so it's really important to, if you want to create yourself as um, a, a good person, a good parent, um, uh, just a level-headed and emotionally regulated being, you have to think outside the box. If there's anything I've learned beyond 2021, you have to think outside the box. This, this comfortable box of what other people kind of place that sanity in um, is certainly fair, right? Like it's fair to stay in that box because that's what sanity is. But at the same time, nothing ever changes unless you step outside of it and say, this should change, right? Because domestic violence should change. It shouldn't be allowed to exist. Child abuse really shouldn't be allowed to exist. A lot of things shouldn't be allowed to exist. Um, and we need to start invalidating these things and discussing these things, but we're not going to be able to do that until people actually discuss it and talk about it. And that's what I think I've learned the most is that having conversations and doing what I do is the way we change the world. So I could keep going, but I, I think I'm going to call it a day. Thank you for joining me. This has been uh, episode 21 uh, things I've learned from 2021, and I'm excited to get to 2022 and learn some more. Uh, thanks for watching, and uh, I'll see you next time. Boom.